and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the RC Report. Uh, I'm going to be joined by my special guest, Actively Lazy, in a bit. But first, I want to encourage you, thank you for listening to the last podcast. All of your feedback that was given to both of us is very important to us. And we thank you and we continue to urge you and encourage you to give us feedback. Also, if you're on iTunes especially, but any, if you're on Spotify, on Anchor, you subscribe to this podcast, rate this podcast, give a review, and most importantly, or equally important, spread the word because the main vehicle we use to spread our word is on Facebook and through our pages and the group. But as I said, I am joined by my co-host, Actively Lazy. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. Yeah, we got we got some current events that have happened. I think it's been two weeks since we had our first Malcolm and Martin podcast. That's what I should call it. Malcolm, that's my secret nickname for it. Malcolm <laughs> and Martin podcast. Um, the 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 newest thing happened. I guess it was towards the end of last weekend, and I guess they rained rained out. Ended up having the race on Monday or Tuesday or something. But NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace, if people don't know, if you're not familiar, because we had a lot of people that weren't necessarily sports fans, but that's sports fans, but that's our normal audience. But anyway, the one lone African-American, I like to point out half African-American, I don't care who that offends, but mixed race car driver of African-American descent, because I have mixed children, and I don't believe it's the same, but you can text me about that if you want people. But anyway, the lone, the lone Obama in NASCAR... <laughs> Uh, came out and said, hey, I don't like Confederate flags. NASCAR said, hey, that is offensive. Let's take that down. Then the next week, they find a noose in his garage. When you heard it first, what was your first initial thought? Oh, NASCAR. <laughs> that was my <laughs> initial thought. Oh, NASCAR. Um, I mean, I would imagine that Bubba saying what he said and and um, getting the reaction that he got out of NASCAR really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, I find it funny that some of the people who support him, like Richard Petty, have been known in the past to kind of not be that supportive of uh, minorities. But either way, it's a new day. Uh, hats off to NASCAR for their response, man. I, I thought it was genuine. Um, and they, they did a collective effort to, to make it better. And, and it wasn't, I want to say it's not solely just for Bubba, but just the idea that, that they realized that, yeah, this, this is outdated. This, this is offensive. And, um, I mean, considering that the majority of their supporters are stereotypically considered to be conservative, uh, the majority of NASCAR participants are considered to be conservative. The idea that they would so freely make a change like that uh, is very refreshing, and and um, I'm glad to see that they're they're the the people who decided to do it uh, the quickest. I mean, if you had took taken a poll, people probably would have said NBA would have been the quickest to to make some progressive movement, but they're they don't really have the same atmosphere as NASCAR. So, yeah, um, I wasn't too shocked. Um, and the guy's from Alabama, so when, when he said a noose, I'm pretty sure he knows what a noose looks like. And I hate to say it like that, but yeah. I know there were some detractors at the beginning. Um, but, I mean, if anybody in NASCAR knows what a noose looks like, it's probably Bubba. Yeah. 
I honestly, I'm not going to say, and it's not just because of Jussie Smollett, and I think that's very unfair to Bubba, but it didn't pass the smell test to me. I don't really think in 2020, and there's some bad people, some bad places, that white people have a lot of noose energy. <laughs> so I, I, that made me raise an eyebrow, just as it did with Jesse, that when I hear noose, I, I, like maybe in a tree somewhere, but that just seemed a little bit much. And then when you get into it, and I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on Bubba because Bubba evidently never saw it. They said that he never saw it, but now they show it today and it's a better picture. And so, but it just seemed a little odd. And so the FBI comes in and they investigate and evidently it's a pull down for the garage. And it's been in there since October of 2019. There are so many questions that I have with that. First of all, you have millions of dollars of equipment. You're a billion dollar industry and you don't have like an automatic garage door opener like I got in my house. You use pull downs and this one pull down. I'm not I'm not a car. I'm not a manly man with cars, but the pull down like you need a, a pull down with a uh, like a noose kind of into it to pull stuff down. That just seems really, really odd. And then when you actually see the noose up close, because all you got were people on Twitter doing their snooping. And we got one from October, and then we got just a rope dangling after the fact. It didn't look much, that much like a noose. But then today, when they release NASCAR releases the picture, that's definitely a noose. Yeah, um... My father is a mechanic and, and big in the cars, and, and I've been in and out of garages before. Obviously, not a NASCAR garage, but um, I've seen pull down ropes before, and I've never seen them in a in a full out noose uh, design. I'm sorry, uh, that just seems it seems too convenient to me that it happened to be in Bubba's uh, garage. Um, we'll we'll probably never get to the bottom of who actually did it. But I find it hard to believe that, that that design is common practice. Now, I'm not too shocked that people still use ropes. I mean, I mean, let's, I, we're from the rural areas. We, we know there's plenty of uh, wealthy rednecks who, who are going to do business the way they've always done business, regardless of how much money they make. So, yeah, it's probably a $20 million car, and this is an exaggeration, but you got a $20 million car in the garage, but you're still going to keep that garage basically how you – originally entered the garage in that comfort zone. Like a lot of people who work on cars and things like that like to maintain uh, a comfort zone. So, it, so like, I'm not surprised that they don't have automatic like um, garage doors and things like that. But, yeah. I'm not, I'm not buying from NASCAR, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I saw some comments and stuff. I try not to get too into it on the internet with people's comments because you don't even know who's real sometimes sometimes yeah, it's just it's just people being trolls but but the idea that you have to to design the rope that way to pull to pull the uh, garage door down is is never going to fly with me that's ridiculous yeah the whole thing is shaking now of course people are it, it's so funny because we jump to these sides there's some people that want it to be true to prove a point and then the other people didn't want it to be true. And then instead of being excited that it wasn't officially a hate crime or wasn't somebody that planted it right before, 
they're they just they're they're not happy that they're just like okay great somebody didn't do that to him. They want to prove that he's a liar. Another Jesse Smollett. It's just this toxic atmosphere and environment that has been created in our society now, and it's kind of just like the battle lines are drawn. It's kind of kind of ridiculous, really. If you, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just get frustrated with it. Uh, I want to move on because neither one of us are like huge NASCAR yeah. fans, but I, I definitely wanted to tackle that. Now no. we had the shooting <laughs> of the guy at the Wendy's, Rashad Brooks. Um, that one, for me, I struggled with it because as much as I want the cops to improve, as much as I understand the systemic systemic problems with the police department, I also understand that's a hell of a hard job. And I think you have to go back, and we'll get into that. You, we have to go back and say, how did it get to that point? But once it did get to that point, and the way these people are trained, and the way... Things can get out of hand so quickly, and a weapon pointed at you. I don't, um, I don't condone what happened, but I'm not ready. I'm not looking for blood over what happened either, because of how crazy of a situation is it. Uh, it was. I, I know that's controversial for a black person to say, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, um, this is a more to me. It's a slightly more different situation obviously than what we saw with Mr. Floyd. Um I I do hate that sometimes with these body cams we don't get to see everything. <clears throat> you know, like uh, I think at one point um when when he got control of the taser, like we I don't think we really got a good view of that. I think we just got uh the body cam on the ground or, or something like that and, and you hear audio and um I, I am concerned with this uh, idea. And, you know, working in the profession that I work in, I see a lot of mental health issues with, with our young people. So I can imagine if the if the young people have mental health issues, then the adults have mental health issues. Um, and a lot of times with um, our police force, they're not trained to handle these situations. So things that could, could be handled in a different way without violent contact if you know how to talk to people don't necessarily um get handled that way we have we have a lot of police officers that are escalating situations and i think that in this particular case given the facts that i know right now i feel like this could have been avoided in regards of the death of of, uh, mr brooks I, i just feel like there was another way for this to end um even when you talk about them losing control of the taser, I don't even know how that happens. To to me, there was multiple cops there. There's one guy. Yeah, there was there was a tussle, but you're trained officers, man. You should you shouldn't be overpowered if there's more than one of you with with a gentleman of that size. And and he was intoxicated. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's the thing too. It's like people don't want to hold the police officers to a higher standard. That's your job. Your job is to not only protect yourself and the community, but also the people that you're arresting. And somehow we got to this point where half the population, it seems like, is okay with Wild Wild West justice. I posted it. It's like, even if you resist arrest, even if you're a child molester, even if you rape somebody, even if you're a serial killer, or even if you're Dylan Roof and you shoot up a black church, you are, under our Constitution, under our rule of law, you are guaranteed 
a fair trial by a jury of your peers. And it's not supposed to happen where your life is taken because you don't comply. Even if you don't comply, you don't have the right, the police don't have the right to take your life unless they think they're in jeopardy. And they were not in jeopardy. Now, I am saying because they, he attacked him and because, you know, it was a, a, a bank mobile. I don't want to say that because that's a football term. That doesn't sound good for that. It was a very quick situation, heated situation. All your adrenaline is flowing. And then somebody points something at you and you're trained. As soon as somebody points something at you, entages are dangerous, blah, 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 blah. So I understand that. I, I, I have an understanding and somewhat of a sympathy for the bad situation the police are put in. But part of that bad situation, if we can move out, is to... Why, in the first place, why does he have to go to jail? He was asleep in the parking lot. He wasn't um, He wasn't driving at the time. Why can't an Uber be called? Why can't you take him home? Why can't you let him walk home? Why does it have to end with him going to jail? Why is the main mission of the police to get you in trouble instead of help you? And serve you, just like a teacher. Like some teachers want to mold you and shape you. Some teachers just want to be punitive for no reason. And coaches can be like that too. Yeah, I mean, like, just basic facts, man. Uh, Officer Bronson was the first to arrive on the scene, knocked on Brooks' window, but could not wake him up. Uh, Body camera video showed Bronson opening the door, shaking Brooks awake. Like, come on, man. Like, that should not lead to a shooting. That should not lead to a shooting. It's, it's a guy that's drunk in public, basically, you know? Um, the, the other officer responded to the scene, and they were saying uh, they, that uh, they needed a DUI-certified officer, and they spoke to this man for 41 minutes and 17 seconds. And Brooks was cordial, according to them. He did the breathalyzer exam, showed that he was slightly impaired. And and I'm just, I'm just not really understanding how... It um it led to the to the to the death of this young man, and um at the end of the day too, what I've noticed a disturbing trend in America is that we don't hold law enforcement accountable at all. Uh, I mean, we're we're just kind of sc- scraping the surface of holding law enforcement accountable, but there's always a built-in excuse for these guys uh, to to discharge their weapons, and I'm a firm believer that at the end of the day your duty is to serve and protect you unfortunately put yourself at risk every time you put on that badge every time you step out the house but you also have to assume some risk too if you don't use the discretion that you're given as an officer of the law and you just willingly or even negligently take a life like i feel like there has to be some accountability for it and I know the officer didn't do himself any favors uh, with his statement saying that he wouldn't do it any other way. But, I mean, if an investigation, a thorough investigation is done and they go from start to finish, I I find it hard to believe that they couldn't find another way to apprehend this, uh, this guy who was drunk without having to shoot him. Yeah, and that's, and we'll get further into that. But he took the stun gun and ran away. Yeah, he took the gun and ran away. He didn't take the gun and like start like shooting at people. Yeah. And even if he shot the stun gun, it one stun gun and two officers. Yes, yeah, two P officers. Yep. Like it still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it still doesn't make any sense that a firearm has to be discharged right there. Now, if he 
stunned the officer and took a firearm, or if he pulled the officer's firearm, then by all means, yes. At that point, you gotta you gotta use your gun. But we're talking about a stun gun. He's outnumbered. What's what's I don't understand. Like and again, ultimately, they're losing me with this idea. And ultimately, even though he he kind of angled himself and turned half his body, you shot him in the back. And you kind of when you shoot somebody yeah. like that, yeah, that's a sign that it's not self defense. That's a telltale sign that it's, it's not, not. self defense. Yeah. If you have a a bullet in somebody's back, even in the wild wild west, that was considered dishonorable. Yeah, I mean that was that was part of my issue with the Trayvon Martin defense with Zimmerman is that there were reports that the bullet the bullet entry was from the back. Which bothers me. Yeah, I don't understand how you stand your ground or how you feel like you. Yeah, I don't understand how how it's self defense at that point. I don't understand. Um, but yeah, again, we're in a situation where what what has now become um, the thing in America is that every police officer is evil, and I'm I'm struggling with this as a black man myself, trying to understand like. Policing is necessary. The way we do it is not. Um, and, and I think we can all agree on that. But um, we, we got to f- kind of figure out a way. Because, again, there are officers out here who do good work. There are officers out here who protect and serve and, and do the things that they, they swore to do and, and do it with integrity. But the issue is, is once again, those officers are not the ones that we see in these videos. They're not the ones who speak out, you know, and, and we've got we're going to need those officers at some point to step up and hold their counterparts accountable and um, and help us out on this. end because, again, civilians are getting killed uh, left and right and they're minorities. And it's happening. It's happening with a frequency um, that I think people are finally becoming more and more aware of it. And, and people are scared. And it's hard to do your job as a cop uh, when people are naturally scared. Now, since we're already, we've kind of natural segue to policing. And I will say what we're going to talk about yeah. defunding the police and that slogan and how that, that slogan actually is problematic. But I'll, I'll, I'll go into what I think. I think when you talk about slogans, when you defund, you take funds away. Uh, and, and literally the, the idea of defunding the police makes you think that you're not going to fund it anymore. You know, um, it, it's a bad slogan with a good idea and good intent. I think it should be called or what it should be is to reimagine policing. We have to look at policing and look at the history of it. Some of it, the origins of policing in America is slave catching and to enforce the black codes and, that they had in Reconstruction, where they basically re-enslaved black people by making petty crimes, and then there were petty crimes, the black people could be put in prison and basically have to work with free labor again, re-enslaving black people. So that is part of the origin of the modern police force. So it already, like so many things with America, so many laws, so many institutions, it started in a way meant to hurt minorities and black people. So you got to look at that and look at the, and look at all the good things that have happened on top of that bad foundation and look at it and say, you know, when, when, when a, a cop is setting a speed trap, is that really to help people? 
when you go to poor neighborhoods and you wait outside of it and you ticket people for not having their county sticker, not having their decals, not having this done to the car, their taillights out. When you fundamentally use, and Ferguson was doing a lot of this, fundamentally use police forces to fill the coffers of the county, town, or city you're in, or you just have a mentality of trying to catch people, is that what it's supposed to be? Man, um, look, man, because um, I've been doing some research on it. 85 years ago, um, W.B. Du Bois coined the term abolition democracy uh, in his book called uh, Black Reconstruction, right? I mean, essentially talking about everything you just talked about in regards of reforming policing in America and how the, the grassroots of the police force was basically an, an extension of white oppression, you know? And uh, a lot of the policing model has not changed um, and there's a lot of animosity in it and um, a lot of the training is geared towards um, violence, you know? We we do need police in this country to, to be less prone to, to discharge weapons. It's just how it is. Um, the majority of crimes in our country are nonviolent crimes. Now, the majority of crimes that you hear about are violent, but they make up a very small portion of actual violent crimes. Uh, so the, the aggression that our police force shows in a lot of the videos, and I mean, it, it's as simple as, as the way they talk to people. Get down, motherfucker. Get on the fucking ground. Put your arms behind your fucking back. Like, why? You don't have to, you don't have to do all that exactly. sometimes, man. And, and it's just, it's, it's just the, the, um, the culture of the job. And, and if, if I, if I told you that the majority of what you do, uh, is nonviolent, but the majority of what you see is violent, the majority of what you hear is violent, you would probably think that something's off about that. It's, it's disproportionate. So, um, I am in support of the idea of defunding police, but I, I also understand that the title itself does scare people, especially people who, who just read titles. It's not necessarily defunding the police as in getting rid of the police. It's more of a restructure of what police do um, and then allocating a lot of the money that goes into the police force and to their salaries and so forth with other community resources geared to addressing the actual majority of the community needs, which would be uh, substance abuse, um, domestic violence, uh, and things like that. Uh, we, we've got SWAT teams and drug forces in, in areas that don't have issues with drugs yeah. and issues with, with like violent crimes, but, but they still make up the majority of the, um, the majority of the, uh, revenue, um, or budget that goes into those areas. And, and again, this has been going unchecked for years. Like I said, this this guy wrote about it 85 years ago. So you can imagine how long these things have gone unchecked. They still got this good old boy system where they look out for each other. It's also a very political base, which is the biggest hurdle because once you talk politics into it, people's careers are tied to it. So they make sure that legislation and things like that, there's kickback 
for police and uh-huh. for their unions and things like that. So they're practically untouched, practically unchecked, and it needs to change. It has to change. We're in a different world, man. We're in a different world, and accountability is becoming a big thing in our society, thankfully. Um, and, and it has to change to deal with that. And um, again, we also have to change to um, address these mental health issues that are in the community uh, because a lot of the situations that we're running into, like that, there's a, a video that Chase shared with this. this. This gentleman was white. It didn't even have to do with race, but he was clearly mentally uh, disabled. Uh, and, and the way they handled him and, and to see him like was like he was bleeding out his head and stuff and they pulled him out the car and like how aggressive they were. And the dude, literally, you could tell something was off about him. And, and the guy, the cop, when he approached him, scared him so bad, he started fidgeting and doing all kind of crazy stuff in the car. And the guy thought he had a gun and he's like, cracked his, cracked his head and got him on the ground uh, in handcuffs. And he's a mentally disabled gentleman. It's like, bro, we just got to do a better job of assessing situations and then applying the right amount of force. Not everything requires a heavy hand. Like you, you gotta, we gotta change that mentality. And, and there's the that old saying that hopefully I get it right. Cause I, I always mess it up in my head. But if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And at this point, what the police, and I've had some great police come over and deal with some stuff and talk to you, but just generally speaking. And also in situations where there's a lot of pressure, like these these cities, it it's so hard, and you don't know what's coming around every corner. Cities like New York and L.A. and Baltimore, it's very hard for them, and they should not. They're not qualified to take care of the situation, just like you said. Why are policemen dealing with homeless people, which are either vets with PTSD, Con people, which I'm, I'm more lean on homeless people, but this is the groups that's from PTSD, con people or mentally ill people or people that just really, really down on their luck with substance abuse problems or substance abuse problems. Why are police the ones hounding the homeless people? Why can't there be a government employee that does that? And at the same time, we got places like New Kent that has a damn SWAT team. My county doesn't need a SWAT team. You got the military militarization of the police, police officers, police uh, places with tanks, with uh, robots, with all kinds of stuff. And why do you need that stuff as a police officer? They they've gone and and some of the things that Obama did to take uh, the military were basically selling its surplus items. I'm simplifying, selling its surplus items to police departments, and Obama stopped that practice. And of course, Trump allowed it to come back. And some of the supervisions that Obama had with the federal government and tying the funds and resources and actually counting. The police don't even accurately count their misconduct and they don't accurately count the amounts of deaths that they incur. Can you imagine that kind of lack of accountability? I thought we were a country that challenges authority. I thought that was the very foundation of our country was challenging the crown. But for some reason, when you challenge the police, you're anti-American or you want them all to die or something. We put too much faith in people, man. Uh, At our highest office, or highest offices in our country uh, or in our country structure, we have checks and balances. Who checks the police? Like, who do we go to? File a complaint. And, and when we go to that person, how do we, yeah, yeah, 
You file you file a complaint, they do an internal, <laughs> internal investigation. <laughs> Come on, man. A lot of a lot of them do. When you when you file a complaint, there's internal investigation. Matter of fact, um I'll share an experience with you that I had at my job, um, not giving any names, but there was an issue with the bailiff at my job and he had made a comment and somebody reported the comment and the gentleman who came to talk to me, I didn't even know he was an investigator because he was wearing the exact same uniform as the (laughs) bailiff. So I thought he was a new bailiff and he was asking me questions and I got defensive because I'm like, yo, why are you asking me all these questions? I don't even know you. Ain't you just a bailiff? And he was like, no, I'm from uh, Central. I'm doing an investigation. Uh, and I was like, what? Like, you, you're the same. Like, you guys are the same yeah, person. Co-workers. Like, you work in the same building. You you guys, I mean, you're only separated by, by like, a wall. That That's not right. Like if if I do something wrong and I get investigated from, from at my job, somebody from another department whose job is to investigate things comes in and, and does it. Not, there's not another probation officer from another uh, court service unit or somebody directly connected to me. It's it's a true independent party with no affiliation comes in and, and uh, investigates the claim. Like I I just feel like. Um, some of the things that we've come to accept in this country as, as it is what it is, um, they're just not smart, man. They're just not smart. So we, we, we definitely have to do better. Uh, and I, I fear that um, a lot of people or the reputation for police might just be completely shot at this point. And, and they're going to have to eventually uh, just kind of rebrand the profession. Um, and a lot of these guys who are ex-military or these guys who, who got into it because they couldn't cut it in the military or, or things like that, and they're looking to just, like, enforce, I think their time's up, man. We we just live in a different time. We really do. And, and I, maybe I'll see it more because of what I do for my job, but heavy hands just, it's just not what what's needed anymore. I think, too, I think it with with things like qualified immunity which basically you basically can't sue the police for doing their job um it it's crazy the protections they have and when you really break down what the unions do and what they do for each other they just circle the ranks and then there's that that blue wall of silence that they have. But it's like, why don't you want accountability? Why don't you, why do you go for things as a union? It's one thing for the baseball union to say, hey, we're going to strike because we don't think we're going to get our payments. But when we're, when you are in the public sector and you have a union, when you say a negotiating tactic that we're not going to come into work today, or you say you're not going to protect this person and that person. Like, how sick is that? That And they have done it, actively threatened not to protect people and communities because they were getting criticized. It's like, why is it? What are you hiding? Not all police. I'm not talking to all police, y'all, of course. I'm trying to say it like last time. I'm not talking to all white people. But I'm talking about a significant amount, especially in these cities like Los Angeles and, and, and New York. Why are you so protective? That tells me that you're hiding even more than you know because if I'm not doing anything wrong, I welcome transparency. 
Yeah, what was it? The, was it in Buffalo or, or New, somewhere in New York where they pushed down the old man yeah, and he Buffalo. hit his head and uh, people were disciplined for it and, and the, that particular unit or, they or quit force that squad just all like yep. resigned? Yeah. Like, that's, that's so ridiculous, man. That is so ridiculous. And, and to me, that personified what's wrong with policing in America or the policing culture in America. And, and like the fact that all of them would, would like resign their posts because of that, like you push the old man down, bro. He's not, he's not a threat. He's not a threat. Like when I, when I worked in, um, when I worked in the jail, we, we took uh, classes on threat assessments and, and like how to come into situations and, and assess how much force would be needed. Uh, for that particular situation and the reason why they taught us that is because every time you put your hands on somebody and they got physical you had to write a report right so i'm assuming i don't know how police officers do it i'm not gonna act like i know how they do it but i would assume every time you discharge your weapon you gotta write a report <laughs> like you probably with the probably discharge, you yes. learn how to assess yeah you or at least if you don't if you don't you probably should but either way there's no reason why police officers can't appropriately assess situations like that, especially when they in full riot gear and it's an old man, bro. And the sad <laughs> part was there was one officer. So there was probably about 20, 15 to 20 men in that particular instance. The guy gets pushed down. He hits his head. There was one, one fucking officer out of all of them who was raised with some goddamn respect and wanted to help the dude at least get back up to his feet and he was grabbed by the arm and pushed forward by the other officers. And this is the shit that I'm talking about. He actually went along with it. No way, bro. I don't care what I'm doing. If right, like, again, right is right and wrong is wrong. I'm just going to stop and do it. And if you want to reprimand me for that, then fine. And, I mean, hell, I've shown that on my job uh, multiple times. Hell, I've defied the judge in open court because right is right and wrong is wrong. And if that gets me reprimanded, then so be it. And, and if I lose my job because of that, then it's not the job for me. But, like, we're public servants. Whether we want to be that or not, that's what we signed up for. So help people. Help people. If you got to help them by putting them on their neck and, and, and cuffing them and then talking to them and calming them down, so be it. But you just assaulted an old man for no reason other than he got in your face. You're in full ride here. He ain't no threat. Help the dude up at least, bro. Like it's just a bad look. And I think the Daily Show um ran ran the clip a couple times and, and talked about it. But I think that it didn't get as much traction probably because a lot of in the in the media, a lot of everything going on has been black people against the police force. But ultimately, ultimately, even through the Black Lives Matter movement, their main message throughout this entire protesting has been that there needs to be reform in not only the systematic oppression and racism that we have in our system of justice, but also in the police. And that goes for how they handle everybody, everybody. But people are so caught up on, like, like you said, the title or the label that they're not paying attention to the actual message. And I think it was so funny when you said that, and I was thinking of it before, but, and I might have heard this from Trevor Noah, but I'm not sure where I heard it, but I think it was, a, it was a police union, and I don't remember the city. Maybe I'll look it up and put it in the show notes, perhaps. But the police union, they wanted 
the police in that town, that city, to file a report every time they pulled the weapon. Just every time they pulled it. Uh, so the union was against it because, so not discharged, just pulled it. The union was against it because they said the police might hesitate to pull their weapon out of fear of paperwork. Like, think about the entitlement, the just how tired of your job you must be. You're pulling a gun on someone on behalf of the citizens of your city and you don't think that deserves to be documented? Like any effort of accountability, they seem to be against. And we want, both of us want the police to be the best, but there has to be accountability. Accountability is how we have checks and balances and everything in our society is made better when we hold ourselves accountable personally and when we hold people above us accountable. So it's not police bashing. It's really, it should be, hey, we are striving to be the best, so let us show you we're the best instead of pulling a, a, a cloak over everything or resisting any kind of accountability. The job is hard. We, we're not minimizing that. But if the job is so hard that you can't do it the way it's supposed to be done, then get a new job, bro. People are losing their lives. People are, are, are getting jacked up because officers out here are not they're not um, held accountable or properly trained. Hell, in the in the one um, instance that I had referred to earlier about the uh, the the guy who um, had a mental disability, that officer had been reprimanded multiple times. George Floyd's officer reprimanded multiple times, but never fully held accountable. And it goes on until eventually somebody loses their life. And it, and it's it's not that we're um, like making this to be like really dramatic is that all of these situations, if people were held accountable or if, if training was, was better in all these situations, we could say it, it was at some point preventable. And and I think that's the ultimate tragedy in all of this and, and why people are so passionate about making sure that this is the last time. This is the last time that we talk about things like this. This this particular era, if, if nothing else comes out of 2020, we're not taking this kind of policing into 2021. And, and I think that's why people are so passionate. That's why people are still uh, protesting, still advocating to, to, to for change. Uh, and that's why a lot of officers are, are running away from that because they, they can't deal with the pressure. Where do you think we are now as a society with this protest, with this movement, with the backlash that's coming, with social media dialogue, with Congress failing to pass any meaningful legislation yet, even though they're still negotiating it? Where do you see things right now? I sadly still see it as a trend, man. <laughs> I don't see much sincerity in it. Uh, I see conviction and sincerity from the people that it affects, but once again, from the people who who are in positions to really make change, I don't I don't really see any any conviction or sincerity in, in wanting to get it done. Um, there's been plenty of 
sound bites and, and, and hiccups throughout legislators who are Republican and Democrat basically being on hot mics talking about, like, I'm only doing this because an election year and things like that. Um, and then the posturing from the sides is, is really annoying, too. Um, we've got it in this country, bro, where white people really think that black people care about Republicans and Democrats who started the Klan and, and, and yeah. these cities are liberal cities and things like that. That shit doesn't matter, man. At it all. doesn't matter. I get so sick of hearing that. So if, if you're listening to this podcast and you've gotten to this point, I am begging you on behalf of black people in America, stop politicizing racism, oppression, and all this shit is going on around us stop it we don't care we don't care we don't care and i and i can tell you why we don't care because for every republican that i think is racist i can point to a democrat who said something or did something similar and the only reason why they're not on the same team right now is because they need our fucking votes that's how it always is and that's why we have this standstill on legislation that could could they're arguing about a lynching bill, bro. An anti-lynching bill. They politicize that. Come on, yo. That should be the easiest thing to pass. Hey, you know, I understand that it is a terrible thing, but what? why is there a butt to it? Why is there a butt to it? Why is this a political thing, man? And and at the end of the day, when I see things like that, it's, it's, it's disheartening for me because I feel like, once again, they don't care. I don't think change is going to come in our generation. Uh, the young people are fired up, and they've got more support from their white counterparts than, than we have from our white counterparts. And I am optimistic that in the future, uh, changes, real changes will happen, but I don't think it'll happen on our end, like on, in I our lifetime. We're on the same uh, page because the number one thing I wanted to say today is that Trump is not the problem. Trump is a symptom of the disease. He's not. And they are trying to make it like all this stuff. This stuff has been happening all of our lifetime, all of our parents' lifetime, way before Donald Trump became the president. Yes, he contributes to it. Yes, he gets people stirred up. But the the, the funny thing is, the, when I look at the television, this is just real talk. When I look at the television and I see all these mayors and all these com police commissioners, and not every single one of them, but I, when I see them, most of the mayors in these cities that are having these problems, they're black, and they're all Democrat, and the police commissioners are surprisingly black. And these things are happening under black and Democratic leadership. So the problem is a system that is so corrupt, so oppressive, that even when a black person is in charge, you get the same results. So you can't tell me about Trump because Trump has nothing to do with these shootings, nothing to do with local governments, nothing to do with a mayor, a police commissioner. There's so little they can do from the federal government level. And, and people want to get caught up in that. And I'm not saying don't vote him out, but what I'm saying is people have to get involved in their local communities and ask these questions. If you want the police to be defunded, it's defunded in your local community, not 
federally, and I know police departments get federal funds, but the majority of that is done in the local community. All of this stuff needs to be done in local communities, and it's not as sexy to go to your local uh, school board meeting or county supervisor meeting or city council meeting as it is to go on Facebook and talk shit about Trump. But that is not where change is going to happen. Yeah, and um, I'm in the process of trying to figure out what I can do locally uh, for my community. I don't I don't work in my community. Um, I work in another county, but um, I, I do use my voice and and what uh, little bit of influence I have in in Louisa to do what I can. Uh, but it's primarily focused on the kids. Yeah. So I was wondering and hoping that I could do something like that here in Henrico because again, we in order for this to happen, it has to be done on a local scale, not the national scale. So people talking about, we getting Trump up out of there. It don't really matter, man. It don't really matter. You know what I remember about Democrats? You know what turns me off about the Democrats and why I never will trust Democrats? The crime bills. Exactly. I grew up watching that. I, I I saw how I have family members who were directly affected by that. I got a cousin right now who's, who's, in jail, been in jail since I was like five because of that stupid ass crime bill and the three strikes law. And I'm never going to forgive, nor am I never going to forget that because the majority of my life, especially my childhood, it was, it was more or less drilled into me that these are our friends. They're not like Republicans. They're not racist. And I'm looking at everything that's happened around me like, but wait, they're the ones who are making the rules and the rules are still skewed for black people. How are they not racist? And Republicans like to, you know, look at, at those situations and, and, and say, well, see, look, look at what that got you. And then I look at how they act. And, and the number one thing that turns me off about Republicans is that they don't listen. It's, it's not even it. like I respect the uh, the um, honesty that you get from Republicans even if it's somewhat got a little racist twang to it, uh, they're speaking their mind generally. They're giving their opinions and they're not backing down. And I, I live like that and I can respect that. But what I can't respect is you not listening to me and you trying to hijack my, my problems and tell me how I should do it all the while not allowing me to speak and giving me solutions to problems I don't even have. I don't even have. Let me tell you how stupid our government is and how stupid society is. People are tearing down Confederate monuments and, and, and looting and, and, and burning things and, and screaming and protesting and, and stopping traffic. All these things are going on. And they want to shut down police television. They want to stop the cop shows and pull <laughs> Paw Patrol and stuff like that. They want to change. They want to change. They want to change uh, Aunt Jemima from from the syrup and and Uncle Ben from from the rice and and I and I and we'll probably touch on that later and and have to explain why those things are well at least Aunt Jemima is definitely racist but they want to do all these things but ain't nobody touched the fucking police reform ain't nobody touched that yet and that was the main reason why people are upset. And in the and in the meantime, since George Floyd has been killed, we still get black people killed, man. We're still getting uh, innocent people banged up uh, because of police contact, and po- people are getting afraid, more and more afraid every day. And they're still talking about 
stimulus checks and Corona. Like, come on, man. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because you have, and I used to be a Republican, and that was like during the Bush time, and Bush actually made, as much as people hate him, he made outreaches to African-Americans that were genuine. He had Condoleezza Rice, and he had Colin Powell in the cabinet to all-time positions for black and blacks and they qualified and so he did make overtures towards hispanics and blacks and that's where the Republican yeah. party was but it, it changed over time but i i i can't i can't we we have no home we have one that patronizes us and uses us in, in excuse me in in male vernacular uh, it treats us as their hoe or their jump off and they just want to get what they want from us and then they move on, but they won't stay the night. They won't invest in us for real. Nancy Pelosi has been the Speaker of the House twice. She just said that she was going to take the Confederate statues down in the Capitol. You didn't know that was hurtful to us in the beginning. It took all this for you to do something that you should have known if you were a real ally. But you can wear the kente cloth and get on your knees for a show. They only do just enough to keep us around. And the truth of it is, Bill Clinton has a famous State of Union speech, and he was talking about how many new and I don't remember the number, but he talked about how many new cops he was gonna have on the streets. Bill Clinton got elected because he was a moderate Democrat that was not willing to be super liberal like Mike Dukakis, and he was willing to be tough on crime. Joe Biden, they're appealing to the fears of moderate white people, not the straight out racist ones, but they might harbor some microaggressions and some like undercover implicit bias. And they, they don't want the black people running around on the streets and causing all this violence and disturbance. And so you appeal to them by saying you're tough on crime all the while selling out the black community. And then when you did realize it was a mistake because the Congressional Black Caucus, they, they were in favor of the crime bill at the time. There was a problem in the black community on the streets. When you realize from 1994 till actually Trump passed the First Step Act for prison reform from, from what, 2019 or 2018, from 1994, nobody tried to clean that up. Nobody made that a priority. See where it was going. It was a mistake. I, I don't. You, Bro, you can't trust I look, either. I look, every time I try to um, make sense of politics, I look at the quotes from Trump and his supporters, and they say Trump's done more for the African American community than any president in the last 20 years. And damn it, if he ain't got a case. I know, I know, I hate to say that, right? <laughs> that's it's how like, bad I don't want to keep saying that's that. How, but it's like that's how bad it is. Really? He, he the funding, all time high funding yeah, for uh, black universities, and you can say you say whatever you want to say that black unemployment was at like near all time low, uh, and he also did the empowerment zones with Tim Scott. Like there's some that's like like without without looking at his rhetoric, the actual resume is not. He gave pardons to people, the clemency. Like the actual resume is all right, <laughs> you know. And and I'm not and I'm not saying this in support of Trump because I mean I make my thoughts on Trump known. I don't support or back people who I consider not intelligent. So um, I'm I'm not a Trump supporter. But the I mean the facts are the facts. And and when he says that, it's sad, but almost borderline true that he's got a case, at least, that he has done more for the African-American community 
uh, than any president in the last 20 years. Um, and I know a lot of black people hate to hear that, but I mean, we got to start thinking for ourselves, man. I've been, I've been watching that Farrakhan Donahue, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, interview. that's for real. I'm for real, man. I've been, I've been watching that thing. I've been watching it, listening to hell. Today, I listened to it on the way to work. And, I mean, there's just so many things that he's saying in that interview with, with uh, Donahue You've that only just makes sense today. And may... <laughs> yeah, I know. But, and you know what's so funny? I remember when it was that... happening. I remember yeah. when it was happening. And now when I listen and I become older, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he makes so much sense. And Farrakhan has made some mistakes, but... A lot of that, we probably look back, it's probably yeah. the media portraying him as radical when he probably was just telling the truth in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, there's just there's so many talking points in that, but one of the talking points is is um, in relation to what we've been kind of uh, talking about, where black people have to stop doing Democrat-Republican. We can't do that. This This particular system wasn't created for us with us in mind therefore we we can't pick a side because they don't represent us you know we have to start thinking for ourselves and in that aspect there are some things about republicans that are good for black communities and there are some things that are uh good for black communities from democrat ultimately though we probably need a party for ourselves because we've got unique problems and, and these problems never get solved in the current system. Um, so I'm not saying we need a, another Black Panther Party or, or anything like that, but I really think that our African-American communities need to start being more um, more selective with who they vote for and, and, and really stop trying to affiliate themselves with the Democratic Party. Because honestly, a lot of the stuff I see with Democrats is, to me, is mocking, man. It's mocking. Yeah. Like, it's that, that photo shoot, it's scary. that photo shoot with them kneeling, bro. It's embarrassing. It really mocking is to me, me. embarrassing. And yeah, you got yeah. that on, and, and it's just like, it's like, do you think you're stupid? Hillary Clinton used to do a thing, that when she would go to, Bill Clinton was just a master of it. He knew people, so he could just go with it. But Hillary Clinton used to change her accent to sound more black and country when she spoke yes. at black churches. Like, do you realize how patronizing or insulting that really is? What you're trying to... That's not even how you talk. You're trying to talk to us. And a lot of things I say, one of the best analogies to me about being a black person in America is like being an alien. People treat you like this other life form that they have to adjust and adapt to. Like we're not normal human beings, man. It's like the black person that comes, the white person comes up to you and says, hey, what's up, homie? What's up, bruh? Like, you don't know who I am. You're just going by this stereotype you saw on TV. Just say hello. Let's start with that. You know, it, it, it's, it, I remember I dated this white girl and her dad had some issues with it. Good, upstanding, fine Christian family. But he had some problems with it. And, and his uh, daughter told me, she said that he said to her, what do I say to him? What do you mean? What? And see, I'm going to be the one that curses this time. But uh, you curse. You got flat for cursing last time. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? What the fuck do you say to me? I'm a person. I got two eyes, a nose, lips, legs, just like you do. Have a conversation. Like, what? It's, it's ridiculous, man. It's, I mean, the, the, to go back to the Farrakhan thing, 
the, a lot of the detraction from the audience who are white sounds a lot like what we hear today, man. And how people are saying they're scared and, and things like that. Nas has a lyric in, um, that, that always sticks with me. Um, is uh, people fear what they, and I'm paraphrasing, people fear what they don't understand, hate what they can't conquer. I guess it's just a theory of man. Black empowerment scares America. It scares America. And um, when, like, when you were talking to the guy today and you were talking about the movement, he was like, what movement? And he just went straight to Black Lives Matter. And, and I'm like, no, it's not just Black Lives Matter. The, the movement is that African Americans are starting to, to really use their voices and, um, and they're getting some support from white people. And, and therefore, it's creating some dysfunction in our society, and that scares people. That's why they don't want they don't they don't really care about the Confederate stuff, man. They don't really care about um, about uh, General Lee. But this preservation of history, to me, is just is just coding for I don't want to look like I'm inferior. I don't want I don't want us to be equal. Like that's what it says to me. And, and um, ultimately, like I said, I'm not optimistic about it happening in our lifetime because, again, we're in 2020. That damn Donahue interview was from 1990. And then I just told you a, a quote from 85 years ago where somebody talking about police reform and we still got the same damn problem. So it probably won't happen in our lifetime. But the support that I see from white people who are of the younger generation, uh, it seems to be more enthusiastic, more energetic and um, more genuine than what I have noticed from, from my counterparts in, of my age. I mean, I've, I've got friends who I consider to be pretty close with who are like, you know, I never knew about the, the uh, what is it, the 13th Amendment? The, the, uh, the Netflix uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. movie 13. They're like, have you seen this? And I'm like, come on, bro. <laughs> like, like, where have you been? I've been We've never had this conversation. It's so and then, funny. And then I think to myself, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right, because you wouldn't listen. <laughs> it's so funny that you can say, like, they can, people can literally say there's not white privilege, and you literally can live your life and not know what another race of people, the one that you come in most contact with on a daily basis in most places, even though Hispanics are a bigger percent of the population, there's a language barrier sometimes, they aren't as... Uh, I'm trying to think of it. as ingrained in the workforce in, in, in the white collar jobs as we might be, you know? And so you, you deal with black people probably more, depending on where you are, but in general, you probably deal with black people more. And we've been the minority for the most of their lives. And you don't know the most basic things. It's because you can afford yeah. not to know. What's Again, going um, on? You can be blind. My, my to it. one thing I keep going back to. And what's that? Are you are you still talking? Because I think I think I'm getting some uh, like no, I'm, I'm losing the anymore. connection a little. My fault. Go ahead. You're good. Uh, I was gonna say the one the one thing I I always find myself going back to when talking to to just people in general is that um, whenever somebody tries to uh, dispute the claim that, that there's a problem with race in America and they, and they point to black-on-black crime, I always remind them, like, I never got instructions on how to talk to black people. 
never got instructions on how to act when I'm around black people. Yeah, they told me like certain areas were bad and things like that. That's everywhere. But nobody ever told me like, hey, when you go here, you got to act this way. When they approach you, you got to act that way. But I got all those instructions about police officers when I was growing up. So um, to me, that should be a, a, a red flag right there. But um, there's just, again, there's just so much that's happened in our society um, that has been accepted by minorities and, and by white people in general, by our, our American culture. It's just been accepted as just the way it is that um, it's, it's been kind of a shell. It's been kind of a culture shock for a lot of people to, to find out that some of the things that they say or do is, is racist or has racial undertones. Like That's what I try to tell They're people. like, oh, well, don't, just don't change get, everything. Yeah, yeah we, I'm like, don't we get mad because... do need to change everything. It's like, don't get mad because it's happening and we're just trying to change stuff. Get mad because it existed. That there's this much racial coding mm-hmm. that just in syrup and cartoons, we're looking at you, Bugs Bunny, where I love Bugs Bunny, but we're looking at you, Bugs Bunny and Daffy and all that, <laughs> that even stuff like that is really racist. There's racial stuff behind that and Tom and Jerry and Syrup. It's that these people were so diabolical that they made white supremacy and belittling black people in every aspect of society. Now we have to unpack it and, and debate whether it's worth changing these things or not. In some of these cases, I don't think they're worth changing. Obviously, Auntie Mama updated their stuff because it doesn't look like the same mammy kind of lady. But look at the origin of it. So we have to debate, is it worth changing these things and unpacking? And I'm okay with that, like debating it and talking about it. Man, I can't believe that people didn't understand that a mammy was offensive. They don't know what it is, though. And a lot of people don't understand blackface. There's no... Yeah, how is it not... They don't know minstrels. They don't know sandals. Exactly. They don't know the stuff. God, man. It's it's awful. They didn't know Juneteenth. They didn't know what Juneteenth was. I guarantee you, most white people, this year was the first year they heard about Juneteenth. And again, Trump, you know, he's so arrogant and so stupid. He said he popularized it, and he did not. But he definitely raised some awareness of it for white people. Which is really sad. Yeah, he definitely did with white people. Yeah, with white people, he definitely did. Um, but I, I, I think, I think we're getting to this point too in America where white people get defensive, and it's just, it, it it's kind of goofy to me. Um, and I always, I always say this uh, in our sports group too, is that there's always this in- inclusion with, uh, with a lot of white people, not all white people, but a lot of white people. Who, who are oblivious to how things are around them. They want to be included in, in what's going on. So they want to be included in, in, this, in this idea of progression. Um, they want to be included in this idea of equality and, and all of that. But they don't want to be included with the suffering that comes along with it. They don't want to be included with um, the stigmas that come with being black. So uh, we, we call them culture vultures, but they... they pick out things here and there that they that they like about being black and, and they use that to their advantage and in the minute when it's time to to stand beside us and stuff they get a little silent and i think that's that's 
causing some frustration with my generation. Now, I don't see a lot of that with, with the younger kids, um, but like with, with my demographic, when I'm 34, so anybody born in the 80s all the way up to probably like 1992, like, like there's just these issues that I see in conversation where it's like, dude, like, why don't you understand where I'm coming from? And then they like to bring up things like, hey, we played football together or, or we, we were battle buddies. And, and, and uh, the one guy we were talking to today on the thread was talking about, you know, serving in the military and he didn't see color. I'm like, OK, you didn't see color in the military. I get it, especially when you got to watch each other's back. But when those black people come home, they don't get treated like you. And he could not wrap his mind around, like he couldn't bring himself to grasp that concept that this is deeper. Is 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 you're not in the military all the time, twenty four seven. But they are black twenty four seven, and they still can't get the same kind of respect that you get. But you both serve, and they get respect from you. But you're one percent of the population. The other ninety nine don't don't give them the same respect, and that's what they're fighting for. Like. Again, it's the message is still getting drowned with people our age, and that, that's very disturbing and sad to me because they're teaching kids. They got kids, you know. So who who's to say they're not teaching their kids to be toned up? Yeah, that that's that's true too. It, and I guess I think it's just the inability to. It's it's amazing to me how you can just ignore the suffering through commission or omission. Some people just out, out, flat out just tell you that it's not happening and fight you on every point. And some people just be like, I didn't know. Well, where have you been, man? Why didn't you ask questions? You know black people face racism. Like, why, why, why didn't you ask the questions? But I did want to end on a slightly lighter... Yeah, and- Go ahead. Yeah. I was well, I was gonna say I know you had um we had joked about um um when you were talking about having Joe on and when we were joking about that you were saying you wanted solutions and I was I was gonna close with with a, a bit of advice uh to to the again the white people who are listening who might be offended who who, who might listen just because they want to get the uh a, a black person perspective on things um one of the main things that I've been um, noticing. Uh, over the last couple weeks is that um, white people don't understand the emotions of, of black people in regards to these topics. So um, it was it's also on the Farrakhan uh, interview too. There are times where words that we say and, and emotions that we have about the topics and, and the things going on, you want to label us like or in the one sense, the guy on the thread said we were racist or, or something like that. Or you, you put these labels on us that we don't really qualify for. We don't qualify for racism by definition because we don't have the, the socioeconomic status to really oppress anybody. We haven't gotten there yet. So we can't be per se racist. We can be prejudiced. And, and a lot of black people are prejudiced toward white people. And you fail to grasp why that is because you don't understand the imagery of what it means to be white to black people. Like the dude was trying to talk to me about Christianity and I was like, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around Christianity sometimes because Jesus is white. My God is white. 
but the slave master and the oppressor and the people who were using this religion to to treat my people the way that they did were also white. How can you not see the conflict in that? So understand that there's a lot of hurt, a lot of animosity, but I'm not saying accept the prejudice. I'm just saying understand that it's not necessarily directed at you. It's directed at the system and the imagery and everything that we, we've pretty much been trying to fight against is white. I mean, that's all it is. It's, it's the unfortunate truth. So work with people with, in that situation. Like You're going to take some heat, but, but take the heat, listen, and help them find solutions. Don't, don't get defensive. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. And two, you know, I had a friend, and she shared some stuff, and a black person got offended and went off on her. She was like, what do I do? I'm like, this is traumatic. Everybody's not going to respond. And I didn't see anything yeah. she wrote that was bad. And I saw one line in what she said that could be misinterpreted, but she was a teacher, so she tried to use the example of her students. And then the lady's like, oh my gosh, are you infantilizing us? Are you infantilizing us? Are you trying to say we're children? And da da da. It's like, no, she was saying that children have these problems at home and then they come to school. The same thing you've been doing the whole time. They have these problems and when they come to school, they're frustrated and they let it all out and then you don't know what happened before. You know, and that and that's for the same thing. It's just an analogy. Like, there, she meant no harm. I know this person. But and you use examples. You use examples of your kids that you work with, and so I would too if I was still in the profession. Mm-hmm. So, but it's just like and I just told. Her, I said, there's some people you're not going to be able to deal with. You know, you don't. You can't get every black person to prove, and some people might be too far gone. You just have to do the best you can mm-hmm. to listen, to try to provide empathy. You don't even have to agree with everything, but you damn sure should check and see. If the ideas that you're disagreeing with and the reason why you're disagreeing with them are coming from white supremacy. So because if you're disagreeing, you're saying, oh, it's black on black crime and oh, abortion and all that kind of stuff. You're coming from a point and these are common white supremacy tactics. We're asking for fair treatment by the pillars of our society and our government. And if every one of us killed one another every single day, which I don't know how that averages out but if all the black people killed all the other black people that should not change our equal protection under the law we are saying government treat us fair yeah how any other citizen reacts and guess what happens when black people kill each other they go to jail at a very high rate so they're punished we're asking for the people who do the things to be punished and to be held accountable so when y'all when there's a black on black crime problem that and I'm not even getting into that man. But when there's a black on black crime problem where there the the crime the person who commits the crime isn't being held accountable, call me. But what you're really doing is something racist because you're saying we should police our own community when we're all millions and millions of individual people, which that's impossible. When I'm asking you to be responsible with the taxes that we pay, with the constitution that we're under as the citizens of the United States, and the rights that we're guaranteed. We shouldn't have to ask for these damn rights. They're supposed to be endowed by our creator based on our founding documents, but we got to fight for them. We don't get them at birth. And, we got to fight for them. And, yeah, and the counter to that is, is when we do try to police our own 
you you uh, get mad and say we're segregating ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. It's like, well, I mean, jeez. What, what do you want us to do? You won't let us do it ourselves and you won't listen to us and we just supposed to let it be how it is? Like, ultimately, that's basically what a lot of the detraction, um, a lot of the detracting points in, in these conversations just show that people are comfortable with the status quo and don't want it to change because, again, it makes them uncomfortable when they see black empowerment. When they see black people gathering and... and um, and protesting, they they get afraid because of looting, and then we're looking at a lot of the looters and stuff, and they're white. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's like, wait a minute, that's not even us. But but they associate a lot of it with uh, black people because Black Lives Matter and things like that, and they they make it into this racial thing, and they're like, well, why can't you guys find a better way to protest? And I'm looking like, well, black people are protesting. A lot of the black people, or a lot of the people who are uh, breaking the windows and like like in, even with the Wendy's in Atlanta, that was a white person. Like a, it just I know it doesn't get reported much, but it, they like to use the the whole media aspect to their favor too because we get a lot of people whose opinions about the protests and stuff are coming from what they see in the media. But when we talk about race relations, if it's not their talking point, they tell us. You shouldn't listen to the media. It wants to divide us. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why does it work for you, but it doesn't work for As me? As if Fox you know? News is so, trying to unite um, us. We, we, like I said, we got work to do. Work to do, and it won't happen in our time. And I, and I, ju- and I do want to say, you know. It's, it's tiring for sure. It is it's very tiring. tiring sure. It's very stressful. I've had to talk to a lot of people off the ledge. I'm getting tired. I'm getting angry. I can notice that you are getting into more arguments in some of our same circles. And it's just, man, it's just really <laughs> exhausting. And uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm a little more optimistic. I do think it's, one, it's something I mentioned, I mentioned George Bush twice this podcast. But when he went into Iraq, even though it was a disaster, their slogan or one of their plans was to win hearts mm. and minds of the Iraqi people. And to varying degrees, they did. But what we are doing... Uh, the black community, the movement, the protesters were winning more hearts and minds of white people. And that's the thing. And even if no, there's no progress or very slow progress, it's a slow burn to changing these opinions. The polls have never had, in my lifetime, had race as such a high priority as a problem. The way people view the police and what's happening is changing. The way people view discrimination is changing. And it might be a slow process and we might be grandparents, but we're going to get there, I think. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm not optimistic it'll happen in my lifetime, but there's, there's, enough, <clears throat> there's enough going on with the younger people that I'm optimistic that uh, changes will come eventually. All right, folks. Uh, you got any parting thoughts before we go? Um, no, nah, not that I want to share on air because it'll just get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. This has been the RC Report with my co-host, Actively Lazy. Thank you for participating again. Don't forget, share on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes. Write us a review. Give us five stars. And, and just keep spreading the word. Support black-owned businesses. Thank you. Have a great one, everybody.